let us pray. So, Father, even now we, we ask that our hearts will be filled with praise and thanksgiving and exaltation to our great God, our living God, the one who has died and rose again to redeem us. And, Lord, shape us and mold us into the image of our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, please be seated. Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you, and happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen Hallelujah. That's right. We can say hallelujah again. Amen. And, and good morning to everyone watching via the live stream as well. We are so glad that you've joined us. Um, it's good to have all of you here. And just for some of you who may be new or haven't been here for a while, we're here every Sunday at 8.15 and 11 a.m. And we would love to have you join us and worship our Lord together with us. And today is a special day. We have three young ladies who are receiving their first Holy Communion today. And so we'll have more to say about that at the announcement time. But so excited to have them and their families with us today as well. The old Dragnet TV series, some of you remember with Jack Webb and um, Harry Morgan as, as Frank Gannon. Date yourself, and and it's still on me TV, um, and and much to my daughter's chagrin, I do watch it sometimes, even though the acting is horrible, and I'm amazed at times because I'll say to Tammy, I'll look and say, can you imagine in this day and age a police officer talking that way to someone in the public? You know, someone's just had a horrible tragedy, and they'll say, just take it easy, ma'am, just just stay cool, you know, stay calm. But one of the other things that Joe Friday, played by Jack Webb in that series, is known for is when he's talking to people and they begin to expound or go off on a tangent, he'll say, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Reminds me of the story of our niece, who's now a wonderful Christian young lady, um, 20 years old. But when she was four, she was staying with my parents, and my mom was explaining something to her, and she kind of looks at my mom and puts her hands on her hips and said, Grammy? I'm four years old, and you just don't know the facts. <laughs> that is a true story. My mom couldn't, couldn't hardly, she had to deal with it because it was sassy, but she said I had to turn around because I started laughing. <laughs> but today, I want to talk about just the facts. My sermon is titled Just the Facts, and I want to talk together about facts. It is important that we know and understand the facts regarding the events of that first Easter. Our gospel reading today is the account of Jesus' resurrection from St. Matthew's gospel. And from this, we learn some of the specific facts of God resurrecting Jesus from the grave. We read the order of events. We read the responses of some of those early believers, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and those disciples whom they ran and told. And each of them had an incredible, powerful experience because they had a personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus, the Lord of glory. We heard read the facts of those events, and we heard read the, how they responded to those facts. And we know from the book of Acts and from the historical record of how their lives were forever and radically changed. 
that was their experience in their day. But I think that also raises the question, what about us? What about you and me in, in our day? What is the meaning of Jesus' resurrection for me, for you, really for each of us? In chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, today's New Testament reading, the Apostle Paul is led by the Holy Spirit to give more specific details and additional facts. What the Bible tells us in this chapter is more than just a recounting of the specific details of Jesus' resurrection, as incredibly wonderful as those facts are, because in 1 Corinthians 15, St. Paul writes of additional facts, eternal truths from God, which describe to us just how the fact of Jesus being raised from the dead can and really should wonderfully and radically impact and transform each of our lives, even in this day. So as I said today, we are talking together about just the facts. And there are three critical facts that I want to look at in these verses from 1 Corinthians 15 that apply to our lives, I believe, right here, right now in our context today. The first one is this. It's a fact Jesus is risen from the grave. Verse 19 we begin with from 1 Corinthians 15 today is really the concluding statement of the preceding paragraph. If, Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. St. Paul here is saying much more than just, if Christ is not raised from the dead, we who are Christians are to be pitied because the eternal life we believe in isn't a reality. If we look and go back to the preceding verses, we see there's much more than just that. Because if Jesus was not resurrected from the dead, the gospel, the entirety of our faith is without substance. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, there is no forgiveness for our sins. Our faith has no basis. It's ineffective. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, the witnesses to the resurrection are liars and frauds. And that seems a rather far stretch when we consider what they were willing to risk and how they laid down their lives for the cause of the gospel. And even St. Paul, who was the apostle abnormally born, as he said, wrote these words toward the end of his life. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I think of St. Ignatius of Antioch, who was a disciple of the Apostle John on his way to Rome, where he was going to be martyred, taken along the way, all the way from Antioch in Syria. He wrote letters to the churches as he went to his death in Rome. And he wrote these words. Now at last, I'm beginning to be a disciple. May nothing visible or invisible envy me, so that I may reach Jesus Christ. Fire and cross and battles with wild beasts, mutilation, mangling, wrenching of bones, the hacking of limbs, the crushing of my whole body, cruel tortures of the devil. Let these come upon me. Only let me reach Jesus Christ. 
Neither the ends of the earth nor the kingdom of this age are of any use to me. It is better for me to die for Jesus Christ than to rule over the ends of the earth. Him I seek who died on our behalf. Him I long for who rose again for our sake. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then sin still holds its power over us, even over those of us who believe. And I could go on and on. And what a disaster. What a cause for utter despair this all would be. If there is no resurrection, believers, true Christians, are not just pitiful because this would be devastating for our future, but also because this means our faith and all that we have lived for and all that we are living for right now is futility and loss as well. Now, you will hear people on our day who say the physical resurrection of Jesus from the grave is not really what matters. The fact is that as long as Jesus rose spiritually, that's all that matters. Or it was the spirit of Christ continued on in his memory among his apostles as they, as they told stories and shared their memories. That was what was the resurrection of Jesus. In the sharing of those stories, his memory was resurrection, resurrected. My friends, that is not the plain and clear testimony of Holy Scripture, of God's holy word. And the bottom line is this. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. The bottom line is this. To deny or to reject Christ's bodily resurrection is to reject Jesus Christ himself. And to deny all of the incredibly wonderful possibilities of Christian life, past, present, and future. St. Paul here is focusing on the facts, what he knows to be true with absolute certainty. And the fact is this, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Nobody, no one has ever been able to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. Nobody has ever produced his body. Why? Because Christ has been raised from the dead. You can go to the, Muslim pro the tomb of the Muslim prophet Muhammad. It is the second holiest place in all of Islam. You can go to Moscow and you can see the tomb of Lenin as he tried to construct this secular eternal kingdom that he was trying to raise up in Soviet communism. Now all gone and a total shell. That Christ is indeed raised from the dead proves to us God's absolute authority over everything, including life and death. In Christ, even death, both physical and spiritual, is defeated for us if we place our trust in him. In Romans chapter 6, St. Paul writes these words. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Christ is risen. That's the fact. And in the resurrection, God the Father validates everything Jesus did for us in his sacrificial death. It's the most important fact in all of human history. Second, it's a fact. This is just the start. 
What's this verse saying to us? Look at verse 20 with me. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What it's saying to us is that Jesus is only the beginning. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, conquered sin through his death on the cross. We referenced that last Friday night in the concluding college of our Good Friday service where we prayed, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we pray you to set your passion, cross, and death between your judgment and our souls. Jesus died in my place and your place. He died the death we deserve as, as the sinless Son of God to atone for our sins. And God conquered death and the grave in Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Christ's resurrection not only makes possible eternal life and resurrection for everyone who trusts him, Jesus' resurrection also mandates the resurrection of believers. He is the Lord of life. And he holds master, absolute mastery over death. That's why St. Paul could write in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 55. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the first fruits. That means that the resurrection of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is God the Father's own personal pledge, guaranteeing eternal life and resurrection to each of us who are truly His, to each of us who truly trust in Him. A real-life illustration that I often share at funerals of believers is that of the funeral of Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill died on January 24th, 1965. And his funeral took place at St. Paul's Cathedral in London <coughs> on January 30th, 1965. And if any of you have ever been to or seen St. Paul's Cathedral, it's an amazing cathedral with this huge Romanesque transept and dome. And at the end of Churchill's funeral, up in that dome, there was a bugler strategically placed. And as soon as the celebrant had given the benediction that trumpeter played taps. The universal military symbol that day is done, it's time to lay down, it's time to rest, it's time to sleep. But unbeknownst to the crowd below, there was also at Churchill's direction, a second trumpeter placed on the opposite side of that dome. And as soon as the first trumpeter finished playing taps, the second trumpeter began to play reveille. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. A new day has dawned. Symbolizing the resurrection of the believer that in Christ a new day has dawned and we are the recipients of God's eternal life through Christ. It's a fact, friends. Jesus' resurrection is just the start. And then finally, it's a fact. This is all because of God's love. Look at verses 21 through 22 with me again. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Love. God's love for us is not specifically mentioned in these two verses. 
but the truth of God's love for us permeates them. It is woven throughout these two verses. Because what we see in these verses is an astounding reversal, a turnaround of incredible proportions. Death came through a man, through Adam, our father. And the idea here doesn't speak just of physically dying, although that is often the first thing that comes to our mind. Even more significantly, this verse speaks of death in terms of loss of fellowship with God. It speaks of spiritual death and consequently eternal separation from God. And this all began when Adam and Eve disobeyed and sinned in the garden. We heard that read last night as the first of the Old Testament readings during the great vigil of Easter. It resulted in them being cast out of the garden, being separated from God. It resulted in broken fellowship with God. And scripture is absolutely clear. You and I, as members of the human family, we are, as Adam's heirs, born sinful. We, by nature, are sinful and separated from God. And we also choose to commit sins. And I know sometimes people in our uber-individualistic American culture, Western culture, struggle with the idea of being born sinful because of Adam. Why should I be guilty of sin because of Adam's fall? But our brothers and sisters living in many other parts of the world, such as our African brothers and sisters, understand the reality that when one sins, when one transgresses, it brings shame. And the consequences impact not just the individual, but the entire community, the entire village. And that's what we see here. The village of the entire human race is polluted. Scientists have discovered that with apples, you know, we've all seen apples with worms in them. If you spray a lot, you don't get worms as much as you used to, but um, then you got to eat a lot of poison. Um, but, <laughs> but they discovered so often we see that hole where, an ap where a worm went into an apple. Actually, a lot of times that's not what happens. The insect actually lays its eggs in the blossom. And as that apple and that fruit forms, the larvae already on the inside, and that worm, when it hatches, eats its way out. And that's very much a good illustration or picture of what human sin nature is like. It's there on the inside from our conception, and it works its way out in who we are and what we do and ways that we behave. King David in Psalm 51.5 says, I was brought forth in iniquity. Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. These are tragically and indeed the facts. But they're only half of the story. Look at verses 21 through 22 again. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. By a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. The word here for alive doesn't speak primarily of physical life. It speaks of God restoring supernatural, eternal, and spiritual life to us through Jesus Christ. 
Remember how I said we were all bound up together as members of the human family and born sinful in addition to making our own sinful choices? Remember how this is all because of Adam, what we call in theology, our federal head? Here's the rest of the story. God's word here gives us the rock-solid, absolute promise and assurance that as we fully place our faith in Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross for our sin, and in his bodily resurrection from the grave, you and I, you and I can be bound up with Jesus. Through him, we can know the reality of God's forgiveness. We can know restored, intimate fellowship with God. We can know the restoration of everything that was lost through the sin of Adam's fall. We can experience fellowship. We can experience forgiveness. We can experience peace and joy and hope and freedom and healing. And we can know these things in the reality of eternal life right here, right now. We can have the assurance in Jesus Christ that we are indeed God's children. We no longer need to fear death. And all of this is because of Jesus Christ, my friends. The fact is, this is all because of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The fact is, God loves us. The fact is, God loves you that much. Even when I, even when you are unlovable. Even when we are dead in our trespasses and sins. I think as we conclude, that really raises the question for us today. Where is my hope? Where is your hope? Those believers, those witnesses to the resurrection, that first Easter had a true story to tell. A story of an encounter with the living, resurrected Jesus. The true stories they had to tell, demonstrate to everyone they encountered that their hope was in the resurrected Jesus, even to the point of being willing to lay down their lives for him as their king. I have a story to tell because Jesus transformed and continues to transform my life. It began all the way back when I was a kid in high school. But that change was real and true. And he continues, despite my shortcomings, despite my failings, to do his good and gracious work in my life. People all over this room, many of you, have a story to tell. Because you too have had a life-transforming encounter with Jesus who has begun and continues to transform you and make you a new creation through him. Walk in the forgiveness that he gives. Walk in the peace that he gives. Walk in the life of God that he has won for you. And the reality is this, our relationship to God now in the present determines our destiny, the life to come and for all of eternity. So my question for every single one of us this morning is this. Do you have a story to tell? What is your story? 
it, is it a story of a life-transforming encounter and walk as a disciple of Jesus Christ? A walk with the resurrected Lord of glory who continues to transform and set you free and make you a new creation? And if that's never been your story, or perhaps it is your story, but you've gotten away from it, you stumbled, you'd fall, you've let the flame of God die out in your life. Your story can begin or begin again this day through Jesus Christ because God in his great love for you and for me is here by his Holy Spirit, arms wide open, inviting us to come in to experience forgiveness, to experience healing, to know freedom, and to know life eternal. So if that's you, I'm going to pray in a few moments. And I would also invite you later at communion. We will have prayer team members in the back hallway. If you would like to pray with a brother or sister in Christ to receive Christ or to renew your faith commitment and begin that journey afresh. Or if you have questions about what I've said, I invite you to, to go out there and to talk with them and to have them pray together with you. God loves us that much. And the fact is, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is indeed raised from the dead. Let us pray. Father, how grateful we are for your love for us and for all of humanity beyond what we can comprehend. Love that constrained Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, to walk the road to Calvary, to die on a cross for our sin, for my sin. And Father, thank you that you vindicated and put your divine stamp of approval on his sacrifice through his resurrection three days later. We rejoice that he is the living God, enduring forever, and his kingdom shall never end. We rejoice that he rules and reigns in glory, and he offers life and forgiveness and freedom to those who are his. So, Father, bring us into that life of Jesus. Begin your transforming work. Continue your transforming work in us that we would be bright, shining lights reflecting our Lord and our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for this Easter. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus and the glorious power of God that comes through Christ's work on our behalf. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.